This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, we're going to go ahead and get ready to get into the Word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, after my last time speaking, I'm surprised that they're letting me back up here, but hey, that's their mistake, so just kidding, just kidding. Um, no, but... Uh, they asked me if I could deliver the service tonight. Uh, Pastor Dave and Mom have been preaching nonstop, it seems like, since uh, Pastor's just now starting to get back in the saddle, so they needed a nine off. So uh, when they asked me to preach, I started writing down uh, this message, and I, uh, I started writing it down, and I thought I had just the perfect message. And then uh, every time before I preach, I usually like to run over my notes uh, with Julie, because she always makes me scratch out half the stupid stuff I was going to say. Otherwise, Lord knows what I would say when I get up here. Uh, But as I started to go down uh, through this perfect sermon that I had written down, she's like, you realize that is pretty much word for word what one of our guest speakers gave, like, within the last week or two. And I'm like, no, it's not. You're full of it. And so uh, I went and I I double-checked. I went through my sermon notes. Uh, I listened, uh, double-checked the podcast, and doggone it if she wasn't right. The, the perfect sermon that I was going to get was perfect because someone else had already preached it and perfected it. And so, uh, by that time, I had spent all of my uh, sermon prep time uh, arguing with Julie and listening to the podcast, which left me with no time to get a new sermon. So, tonight, you're getting a fresh Reheated you sermon that I used a couple years ago. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I really do think that this sermon will help you. It's, uh, it's really helped me a lot when I was writing it, and it's good stuff. So uh, let's pray real quick, and then, uh, and then we'll get into it. Father God, in Jesus' name, I just ask that as I'm getting ready to deliver your word, that, that you'll help me, Lord God, to stay on point, that you'll uh, help me to speak only the words that you would have me to speak, uh, Help me to not get too far off track, Lord. And most of all, help uh, help the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Help our hearts uh, and our minds to be open and attentive to receive everything you have for us tonight. And we just ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, a few years ago, there was a church that uh, they were going to do this sermon series uh, correcting the world's perspective on uh, the way that they thought that the world thinks that Jesus is, probably. Um, and honestly, probably a lot of them, a lot of the world thinks that Jesus is this way because of Christians who claim to be Christians, but uh, don't actually follow Jesus' teachings. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 6.46 that you can't go around all the time calling him Lord, Lord, and not actually doing what he says. And uh, I could sit here and preach on that all night, but I don't want to because I have this other topic. But uh, what this church did as a part of their sermon series, they made these uh, satirical videos to show how absurd people like you, how people think that Jesus was and to show that that's not how Jesus really was. But this is probably how a lot of people picture him. Um, so there, these, this video is completely satirical. And uh, Julie told me that when I say satirical, I need to make sure I define satire for everyone because uh, I used that word last time. And she's like. Good message, good video. What does satirical mean? So satire 
is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. So uh, I'm going to have the media guys play this video, but I want you to remember that it's complete satire. So uh, let's roll that video if we can. Hello. Welcome to the first Christian church meeting. Here are the rules. Rule number one, spend all of your free time in church. Rule number two, you're not allowed to have any fun unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Rule number three, wear t-shirts with my face on it. Rule number four, always smile and act happy. And finally, wear a stylish beard like mine. I knew it! Jesus! No one told me about this meeting! And nice try, You said I could be a Christian if I gave up all my fun and grew this beard. Look at my beard! Well, I heard that you missed the prayer meeting for a silly game. But I had tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus! Well, that was incredible! The Israelites drove down, kicked the field goal, and the rest said it's good! Be quiet. No, well, the football! No. Yeah, I can't believe my dad showed up. How embarrassing. Oh crap, my fake beard fell off. They're totally gonna kick me out. Er, wait. Is what she saying? We're all going to play football or something? Yeah, football, yeah. Alright, stop. Stop crying. Rise. You can be a Christian if you promise to burn all of your footballs and never miss church again. Promise? Yeah, oh boy. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the first Christian so church So sorry, uh, you can stop it now. Uh, Here are the rules. Rule number one. Or we could watch it. Let's, we could watch it again, but but I think hopefully we got the point. So, remembering that that video is satirical. That's not how Jesus really was. What I want to teach on tonight, and this is my title if you want to write it down. It's not the size of the beard that makes the Christian. Which, uh, for brothers like Lawrence, this is not such a big deal. But for me, sometimes my beard, this is about all I get. So, uh, as, I was, as I was preparing this message, I was blessed to know that it's not the size of the beard that makes the Christian. Uh, let's flip over to John 13.35 if we can. John 13.35, and we will see that even though beards are nice and magnificent, it's very true, it's very true. I think every man should grow a beard, including Pastor Dave, over here on the front row. Yeah, he's trying. Uh, <laughs> he's giving me, the, giving me the stink eye, but I can ignore him. Just um, John 13.35. Let's see what really does define us as Christians. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It says your love will prove that you're my disciples. So it's not the size of our magnificent beards. It's love that shows that 
that we're really Jesus' disciples. The first thing I want to talk about along those lines is, number one, love lets the world know that we are followers of Jesus. As I was thinking about this, there's... Out of, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. As I was making the PowerPoint, I thought I would just display many magnificent beards. So, if nothing else, you'll get to see all sorts of beards tonight. So, something that we all can aspire to. <laughs> sorry. So... <laughs> All right. Out of all of the things that Jesus could have said here uh, to prove that we're his disciples, he said it's our love for each other. He could have said, you know, when you go to church, you need to make sure you carry around a 10 pound reference Bible. And that way, everybody will know that that you're disciples of Jesus. And I've seen people that carry 10 pound reference Bibles every time they go to church. But that's not what Jesus said. He could have said, you know, how loud we sing at church. And I've heard some people sing very loud and not necessarily on pitch at church. But that's not what proves to the world we're just his disciples, you know. Or, or maybe these people that give big, extravagant offerings. And, you know, the goal, we are called to give. We, we know that. But it's not the size of our offerings that proves that we're Christians. You know, he could have said if we pray long winded, spiritual sounding prayers, that's that will show everybody that you're a disciple. But no, he said love is what shows that we're disciples. As I was thinking about, uh, you know, people that pray those long winded, spiritual sounding prayers, you know, trying to prove how spiritual they are. Jesus did actually talk about this type of person. Uh, let's flip over to Matthew six real quick, if we can. And these are uh, this is talking about the people who think that, you know, what makes them holy is when they say these big, long, spiritual sounding prayers. And, uh, you know, Jesus was so loving, he had some some very kind words to say for these people. You know, that's something that while we're flipping there, that's something I think about sometimes, though. When we think about Jesus, sometimes we think about him just being all lovey-dovey all the time and stuff. And if you actually take the time to read the Gospels, yes, he was, he loved people, but if you, uh, uh, well, like this type of person he's talking about here, he wasn't always quite so kind. He wanted to set them straight in a loving way, but still he had to set these type of people straight. So it wasn't all rainbows and lollipops. Let's see what he says uh, to these people who think that they're, you know, if they get up there and sound spiritual, that's what makes them holy. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 5, it says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So all the reward they're ever going to get is just people seeing them standing on street corner being loud and obnoxious. Verse 6, But when you pray... Go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles or as the heathens do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. 
So what he's telling us here, it's not about getting up and saying these big, verbose, wordy, spiritual-sounding prayers or or uh, some versions talk about these people just chanting over and over again. That's not what gets our prayers answered. Um, something I, I find interesting is uh, my wife and I do a lot of the uh, marriage counseling here at church. And a lot of times when you're talking to a, to a, a, a wife for some reason, I don't know why women, because I guess I'll pick on the women for a little bit. They always talk about how women speak uh, twice as many words as men. Uh, but... A lot of times women will think, you know, if they've got a husband that they're struggling with or they can't get them to come to church, they always want to know, well, what can I say to my husband to get him to come to church with me? You know, they're all, it's almost like if I say the right, you know, I've, so I've been talking to my husband, asking him to come to church. What's the best thing I can say to get him to come to church with me? And it's not about the words that you say. I, I listened to a preacher. He said that if you're trying to figure out the right magic words to say, that's almost uh, closer to witchcraft than the Bible. You know, trying to figure out the right magical phrase that will get your husband to quit acting like a jerk. And honestly, that magical phrase does not exist. But First Peter chapter 3 tells us the perfect thing to say to an unbelieving spouse to get them to believe. Uh, and I want to let's flip over there if you want. Well, I, I guess you don't have to flip there because I'm in the New Century Version. I really like the way this put. Uh, but First Peter 3 tells you the perfect words to say to an unbelieving spouse. It says, In the same way, you wives should yield to your husbands. Then, if some husbands do not obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe without anyone's saying a word to them. Without saying any words at all, they will be persuaded by the way their wives live. Your husbands will see the pure lives you live with your respect for God. So it's not saying the right magical words. It's living a loving life in front of people. Um, there's a quote from uh, a very uh, famous saint. His name is St. Francis of Assisi. And he kind of uh, summed this, this up like this. He says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. When necessary, use words. So Jesus said it's our love which we demonstrate with actions that shows the world that we're his disciples. That's how we preach to people. It's not by saying the right magical incantation or whatever. Love is what truly lets the world know that we're Christians. The second thing I want to talk about for a couple minutes here is that not only does love let the world know that we're Christians, but love lets us know that we're truly born again. Uh, flip over to First John if you want. Real quick. I know sometimes uh, I've been I've talked to a few people lately who were talking about some struggles they've had and how sometimes they don't always feel like they're necessarily born again. And of course, we know we walk by faith, not by sight. We go by the word, not by our feelings. But there's a simple test found in first John that we can run on ourselves if you're not feeling born again. First John, chapter three uh, and look down 
at verse 14. It says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So we can know that we're truly Christians, that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. That's the test you can run on yourself. Uh, Brother Hagen, uh, that pa- the pastor was talking about this morning, who's one of our biggest mentors around here, uh, he wrote this book called Love Never Fails. In fact, we sell it in the bookstore. I highly recommend that you all pick this book up. It's only like $2 or something. It's a little bitty book, but it talks about this topic. We were singing about it earlier. I'm preaching on it tonight, that love never fails. Um, I'm gonna, if you'll uh, give me just a minute, I'm going to read a quick passage from this book uh, where past, uh, uh, Brother Hagen demonstrates... This whole concept. So, uh, sit back and listen to the story. Just kidding. Uh, it says, uh, this is Brother Hagen speaking. One night after church service, my wife and I went out to eat with the pastor and his wife. This pastor's wife said, Brother Hagen, you've got me in a mess. Since I've heard you preach, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. Uh, Brother Hagen said, well, I knew she grew up in a full gospel parsonage. She graduated from Bible school. And both she and her husband were ordained ministers. So he knows that she's right. But he said, he, he decides to humor her. He says, well, how did I confuse you? She explained that one night uh, I had quoted from 1 John 3.15, uh, which says, you know, if you hate your brother or your sister, that you don't have life in you. And he, he added at the end of it, and that includes your mother-in-laws. And this woman said to him, well, I hate my mother-in-law. I absolutely hate my mother-in-law. And so Brother Hagen said, well, if that's the case, if you really hate your mother-in-law, then of course you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You don't have any eternal life in you at all. Now, he says here, in parentheses, he said he's, I was just kind of leading her on a little bit. I was going to rescue her in a minute, but I wanted her to realize it for herself. So I let her think about this for a few minutes. He, uh, Brother Hagen says, I knew what the problem was. It's a problem that many Christians have. They don't really know what they have or who they are in Christ. They let their minds unrenewed with the word of God so they haven't... Uh, studied scripture to to renew their minds yet, or their flesh, which is unsanctified, which is what uh, Mom and Lawrence were talking about earlier, they let their unsanctified flesh confuse them, and that really gets them into a mess. So, Brother Hagen says, I decided to rescue this sister. I said, look me in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, I want you to check down here in your spirit. Not in your brain, but down in your spirit. What happens in there? So she looks across the table at him and she says, I hate my mother-in-law. Now, Brother Hagen said, what happened down there on the inside of you? What happened there? And she said, well, there's something down there kind of scratching me on the inside. He said, I know it. That's the love of God. 
The love of God has been shredded abroad in your heart and it's trying to get not trying to get your attention. What should I do? She said. He, so I told her, let the love that's inside of you, the love that's already inside her and it's inside all of us. Let that love dominate you. You can't let your thinking dominate you. You can't let your mind dominate you. I don't care what your head says. Your head sometimes can say some awful things. But don't let your flesh dominate you. You've got to crucify your flesh. It hurts, but crucify it. Act from your heart. Act like you would if you did love your mother-in-law, because you really do, because God has put that love in our hearts. So a few days pass, and uh, he catches up with this lady a few days later, and she says, you know what? You're exactly right. I don't hate my mother-in-law. I don't hate my husband's family. They're good people. I know that they're Christians, and I know that they love the Lord. And so she was able to prove to herself, just like this scripture says, that she'd passed from death to life because we love each other. Um, back to 1 John 3. I want to finish reading that passage if we can. It says, uh, we left off uh, in verse 16. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Here it is talking about our actions. It's not just words. It's our actions that show that we love. It's not saying one thing and acting like another. It's our actions, the way we act towards one another. Um, Down in verse 20, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he in them. And we know he lives in us. Because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So it's that love that's inside of us that proves to the world that, that we're Jesus' disciples, but it also proves to ourselves that we've passed from death to life because we love. But why, why is love such a big deal to God? Did anybody ever think about that? Why is love such a big deal to God? And that's the next thing I want to talk about tonight. Love is such a big deal to God because God is love. That's a nice beard. You all are just fortunate that my beard does not grow like that because I would have the world's biggest beard. (laughs) Anyways, back to the topic. God is love. Uh, since we're in First John, I want us to flip over real quick uh, to chapter 4. <laughs> First John, chapter 4, and let's look at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves God is a child of God, and knows God. 
But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. Full expression meaning through our actions. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. This whole uh, book of 1 John, a lot of it is talking about how important love is to God. And it's because it all boils down to because God Himself, God is love. I think hopefully all of us are familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and I, I think I've heard, uh, I think it was Brother Hagen, maybe it was someone else saying, but these are the, these are almost like in the order that they start appearing in your life when you begin, when you become born again. Like these fruits start showing up in your life. And so, uh, that's why I think it's ironic. Does anybody know what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Love. It says love, joy, peace, patience. But when we become Christians, the first thing that shows up in our life is love. Because God is love. When God is in our life, we love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, it uh, talks about all the gifts, uh, that whole 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and all of these amazing, awesome things. But it all boils down to the greatest of all, greater than any of that, is love. Love is so important to God that He sent His only Son to die for His worst enemies. It talks about how we were enemies of God before we became saved. And I was praying it earlier. Out of Romans it says that God sent His Son to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't. Uh, some people, you know, they'll talk about, well, I, I can't come to church. I've got to get my life in order. I've got to get got this in line and that in line or whatever. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Christ died for us while we were a mess, while we were still in the midst of our sin. Because God is love. His very essence is love. Everything He does is because of His love. The fourth thing I want to talk about, uh, just for a couple minutes here tonight, uh, about love is uh, faith works by love. All of this is kind of tying together. Hebrews 11.6, we won't turn there, but Hebrews 11.6 says that it's impossible to please God without faith. It says anyone who knows Him must believe He exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. But it's impossible to please God without faith. And we all know that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You get your faith from hearing the Word of God but what actually makes our faith work? Galatians 5, verse 6. Uh, we've heard this one a million times, but let's go ahead and turn there. I think 
it's good sometimes to turn there and see it with our own eyes. And also, you can make sure that I didn't have a typo on my paper. I actually did earlier. I, was, uh, I had written Matthew 5 earlier, and I had to correct it to Matthew 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith which works by love. The first half of this verse is talking about uh, circumcision, but really it's talking about people thinking that it's some physical act that they do, maybe like growing a, a huge beard or something, that's going to make them have faith or be a Christian. Of course, circumcision is not nearly as pleasant as growing a huge beard. I have to share a little... Pastor Dave and Dad have been sharing their testimony all day, so let me give you a part of mine. When I was very young, I was actually circumcised. And let me tell you how terrible it was. Afterwards, I couldn't walk for a year. But thank the Lord I'm here today. <laughs> I only know one joke, and I don't get to bring it out very often. <laughs> I, 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 the, the, the men in the back feel me. The men in the back feel me. No, seriously, though, it's not some physical act that we can do that makes us a Christian. In fact, um, uh, after Jesus went to heaven, that first Christian church, uh, which they were joking about in the video, but the first Christian church honestly did think that you had to do this in order to become saved. It was one of the biggest arguments in their church was uh, whether someone could be saved and not be circumcised. Uh, and thank, I thank the Lord that they finally decided that, yes, you could, in fact, be a Christian if you were not circumcised. Because uh, it's hard enough to get men to come to church anyways. But <laughs> imagine if the requirement for coming to church was that you had to be circumcised. And that's what they thought. That's what they used to teach that. Uh, in the first uh, in the first few chapters of Acts, I've joked about it before, but you know we have a nice, pleasant baptismal tank. But they thought that you'd have to have your baptismal tank, and then two rooms down, you'd have the circumcision room. Otherwise, you couldn't be a Christian. If you don't believe, read the Bible, they had a there's like two or three chapters devoted to them arguing about whether you could be a Christian or not, and not be circumcised. Thank the Lord, they finally decided that this is what. Um, that's what Galatians 5 was talking about. It's not the circumcision, uncircumcision. It's not any physical thing you do. It's faith that works by love. And sorry, I know I get off topic and I say stupid things, especially when Julie's not in here to, to give me the stink eye. Because it's not as intimidating coming from my brother. <laughs> but faith which works by love. It's not any physical act or anything that you can contrive up in your mind, it's faith which only works through love that matters. So uh, just to kind of wrap it all up tonight, um, love 
lets other people know that we're Christians. That's how we prove we're Christians. Not only that, love also confirms to ourselves that we've passed from death to life. And this is because God is love. And with His love, that's how our faith works. Our faith works through love. So it all goes right hand in hand together. Love is very important to God. I want to read one last verse, and I'm just going to read this one to you because it's from uh, a, tra- uh, a version of the Bible called the Message Bible. It's, uh, it's not a translation. It's more of a paraphrase. But this guy is very poetic in the way that he uh, uh, translates the Scripture. And so I like the way that this Scripture was read. Uh, he translated this. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 9 through 10. It says, The law code... Don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And any other don't that you can think of finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. So it's not the size of the beard that makes the Christian, but rather it's love. Sorry, I should have had a serious picture to end it with. <laughs> rather it's love. So let's work on that. Pick up that book from the bookstore. Let's work on our loving each other. Let's have uh, the worship team come back up if they can. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.